This is the Beaver Tales podcast, focusing on former Oregon State athletes. Back when OSU was still called Oregon Agricultural College, the mascot was the Aggies. We've got nothing against Aggies, but the name Aggie Tales podcast doesn't sound quite so good. Here's Josh Warden with the Beaver Tales podcast. Hello again, everybody. This is the Beaver Tales podcast, where I talk with former Oregon State athletes to get their life lessons since OSU and reminisce about their highlights from playing for the Beavers. And today is one of the most fun guys I've gotten to interview. Remember interviewing back when he played basketball for Oregon State and a fun guy to catch up with, a native of Decatur, Georgia, and now playing professional basketball in Australia is Jarmal Reed. He comes into the podcast from down under the day after me. It was 5 o'clock Pacific time for me, and it was the next morning for him as he calls in from where he's playing and still studying, actually, in Australia. So he's taking classes at Oregon State. We'll talk about how he's grown academically and his desires to continue that pursuit in a master's degree eventually, as well as his playing career and how he's changed. One of the first things we touch on is actually the food in Australia, and he mentions the difference in culture and so forth. And normally I'm pretty cautious to touch on people's dietary habits and their weight and body image, because that is not always an easy conversation to have, especially just off the top of the head without any preparation. But for some reason, I just felt like I could ask him all about it. And he opened up and talked a lot about how he's different than his playing days at Oregon State, where he didn't really care what he ate because he was an 18, 19 year old who was willing to eat whatever was in front of him and just go play basketball. And he does not treat food the same way anymore. He doesn't treat academics the same way anymore either. And it was fun to see how he's matured from when he left Oregon State about four years ago. He played half his career for Craig Robinson, which was a fun stretch in one sense, but did also end with a, a difficult moment. The Radford game in 2014, which was the final game of Craig Robinson's career, was a really difficult loss, a game they should have won. There was next to nobody in the stands and an odd way for one career to end. Jarmal was in his sophomore season, so he played half his career at Oregon State the next two years for Wayne Tinkle. So we do talk about the difference between the two coaches, Gary Payton II, and all those memories at Oregon State. It was his junior season, Wayne Tinkle's first year, when he was most successful, averaging about eight points a game. He would come off the bench and sometimes lead the team in scoring, had 15, 20 points a game a couple of times. It was after that season, actually, that his father passed away right before his senior year. And we do talk about his memory of his father and mother, both of whom have actually now passed away. And his guardian, Karen Nelson, who kind of filled that void to a certain degree and was another role model in his life from afar since he moved from Georgia to Oregon to play collegiate basketball and has, again, taken a long journey to play pro ball in Australia. Jarmal is also really funny and witty on social media, too. He has a, a social media account on Twitter, which has an odd name. Now, most people just put their normal name, like I put Josh Warden as my username on Twitter, and then you've got a handle, which is unique to your account. For example, mine is at Bright Ties due to the tie collection I have, but the username's just Josh Warden. Well, Jarmal doesn't have his name on there. Instead of Jarmal Reed, it's Hamburger Helper, and his Twitter handle is Whopper Jr. Now, you may wonder, why did he choose those names for his Twitter? Well, I'll let him explain that partway through this conversation. I also want to plug today's charity on this podcast, which is Kingdom Home, as it has been for the last few episodes, a great organization with an Oregon State connection in Matt Boyd, former Oregon State pitcher on the baseball team, where they have a home in Uganda protecting children 
uh, from the sex slave industry and giving them an opportunity for education and holistic training. They never age kids out of this home, but rather help them become empowered and prepared for the next steps in their life whenever that may be. So if you can check out Kingdom Home online, and if you want to donate and check out what they do, that's kingdomhome.org, kingdomhome.org. All right, let's get to this conversation with Jarmal Reed from Australia. And you can tell he's there and outside because you can hear the wildlife out there, some birds chirping in the background, which adds some nice ambiance. You can tell what he's saying. It's no big deal. But it'll be a fun conversation with former Oregon State basketball player Jarmal Reed here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Jarmal, how different is Australia than Corvallis, Oregon? And also, just thanks for joining me. It's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, good to see you too. Um, Australia is is different. You know, it's the weather is different. It's not as cold as, as it gets in Oregon. Uh, it don't rain nowhere near as much as well. So that was that was definitely different. So like right now we're going into the fall and as you see the sun's still out, the birds are still chirping in the back. So it's different. Of course the accent is amazing to me. I love it. The food is a little different. Like the things they eat where like Oregon's more like kind of like healthy driven, you know, where out here they, you know, it's a lot of fish and chips. They eat like meat pies. Um, it's just different, you know, a lot of carbs, you know, <laughs> nutritionally. So, I, you know, I can't complain there. <laughs> How much has your eating habits changed? Me eating, you know, 3,000 calories a day when I'm in college because it doesn't matter now that you're a couple of years past how much, how much, plus the different culinary stuff that's even available in Australia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oof, the eating the eating's definitely changed. You know, in college, you got access to so much food. Before you take nutrition serious, I know I didn't take my nutrition pretty much serious until I was like 21 in my last two years. But before that, it was just like, man, I can eat pizza every day, chips, cookies, little Debbie cakes, eat whatever I want. And then your parents are not in college with you, so you know you don't really got no restrictions on what you can have. You know, it's just a matter of whatever you can afford. It was one time I ate pizza like all week, ate pizza and drunk fruit juice. I'm just like, man, you know, I'm going to practice. I got the energy. I'm done. You know, I go grab a pizza. I remember me and um, me and Victor Robbins. He was my uh, he was my roommate freshman year. We'd get on some bikes, go to, and then we'd go to Monroe, and we'd stop, make like three stops on Monroe, then head back to the dorms. Like, ooh, that's enough food for the day. You know, we, we would do that like a couple of days straight. We just like, man, we never thought we'd be, be able to eat like this. But then as you get older, you know, you gotta, you take health more serious. And so you just, you know, start to watch what you eat, incorporating more like vegetables and stuff. I know um, at Oregon State, I had um got with our nutritionist Stacy that was at the time, and she really she really helped me out. You know, at one point I was like 260 pounds, and so I was just like, you know, that's that's not a good look. So you know, we, she was really on me about it, and you know, Jeff Macy also helped me out. So we were just you know working out, make sure I started eating the right things, and just try to carry those characteristics. You know, after college, especially you know when I continue playing, it's like you want to be as healthy as you can to do as much as you can. You know, you want the energy. You start thinking long term how you want your health to be once you get get much older that was really big for me and granted you're even if you got up to 260 it spread out over a six foot seven six foot eight frame but still yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you you realize that and you've got to you know, work down a little bit and you you've worked through that and matured and gotten smarter about it so I, I respect that that's the maturity process I love to see from from players I remember Roberto Nelson once mentioned you know I think the guy with the best body on the team is Jarmal Reed he's just stacked and I don't know if he was poking fun or if you just had the metabolism of a greek god or something but he was, he was I mean, yeah, uh yeah because you know it was, like coming in i was already like 235 i was 18 years old so you know 
to be that young and be that big. It's not like I was just like overbearingly big. So I was just, and I could, with the way I was being used in the in the scheme of things, defensively, I would guard guys that'd be five ten one day, seven foot the next day, and so just being able to go get moved around so much and not really have it be a problem. That was one thing he, he admired. But yeah, we be in the weight room. I'm, I try to, you know, match his lifting as a freshman, you know, just because, you know, Roberto's pretty strong too. And he was an older, one of the older guys. So I'm just like, I want to, I want to be there with him and Joe and Angus. You know, I want to lift with those guys. And so, you know, it was just like me challenging myself. And, and like I said, he saw a lot of the stuff that I was eating. And he was like, how could you eat that? And just go practice or go play. I was just like, I don't know, you know, it's food to me. I didn't I didn't know or understand like the nutritional aspect of things that much once I got there. So yeah, it was a lot, but like I said, as a, as time went on, you know, it got better. So it was it was pretty cool. We'll come back to some of your favorite memories at Oregon State, but tell me about how you ended up in Australia. You're about four years roughly removed from your time at Oregon State. So what brought you to, you know, a very far away part of the world and what you're doing <laughs> in Australia? Well, Australia was, was the first place I got to play professionally, and I, I had did pretty pretty decent out here, and you know just developed a good relationship with the organization. A couple of years later, you know I was looking for another place to play, you know to get things back going. You know I had took some time off. I got a message from the old manager from the from the last team I was with out here, and they were just like, hey, they know you know teams looking for somebody. You know they want to know if you were available. I you know I sent the information, and you know I was just like, this is the opportunity I was looking for. You know, so I was just I was. Able take it and been smooth sailing ever since what is professional basketball like in australia in terms of the style of the game and the life in between the games and and the, the culture around basketball in australia uh it's pretty big they take basketball pretty seriously they, i want to say it's the main sport outside of what they call footy which is their version of football but it looks like rugby it looks like american rugby so you know basketball is probably you know one and two sports out here so it's taken very seriously the organization I'm with they're relatively new so I think they've been going for like three or four years and so they you know they wanted to get their thing going in the area that they're in so I was just like this is nice and then the part I played in originally that's where like Joe Ingles he's from that he's from that part and so they you know he's really big out there and so and then you look at what the NBA you got Ben Simmons now so they're big on basketball and even in the uh in their top league the NBL the mellow ball was just playing out here RJ Hampton you know so so they're starting to get into the mix, you know, with the American guys. We got a lot of older ex-NBA guys. Josh Childress came out here. He played, I think, like two years ago out here. So it's they're getting close. You know, of course, it's not the NBA or something like that. But it's, it's very it's very serious out here. The style of play is it's like most international professional leagues where, you know, it's pace. But some of the guys are, are bigger physically. But they allow their, their younger guys to start early. You know, you started like. 17, 16, 17, I want to say out here. And so they really let that happen. And, you know, I really admire that. What's the name of the team that you play for right now? Wayne Garada Bush Rangers. So like I said, it's a new organization. So it's pretty cool. I covers of purple and gold. So I thought that was pretty interesting, <laughs> like, the, like the Lakers. And <laughs> that's not bad. You're not only playing professional basketball over there, but you're still studying. You're still in school, getting a second bachelor's degree after your first one. You talked about how you've changed nutritionally and matured in that area. What about academically? How how hard working of a student were you your first four years and compared to now where clearly you, you're trying hard because you don't have to still be studying, but you're working on a degree and you're passionate enough about it to do online classes in Australia? Yeah, uh, I would say coming in, I just had the athlete mindset, just like, you know, you want to do just enough to get by the play and stuff like that. And so starting out, it was okay. But I think every student athlete hits that wall. I think I hit my wall at like the end of sophomore year. I was just like, 
this comes a lot, you know, but I understood that this is what I had to do to stay on the court and to play. And so the motivation was a little different, whereas now you're trying to get a uh, bachelor's degree in the field that I want to get a master's degree in to have something set up for me life after basketball, you know, you know, want to have everything set up so the transition can be a lot smoother. And so that's really just what I've been focusing on. So, you know, I got the right people behind me pushing me to do it. And then actually to do the work, you know, I sit down now and take the time. And then we don't have like study hall, mandatory study hall and stuff like that. So the discipline has to be channeled a little extra right about now. So trying to stay disciplined with that and just really focus on, you know, get the job done. You are hoping to not only get this bachelor's, but go on to a master's degree in that same field. So what is that area of interest you're passionate about and, a, and a, maybe a dream job you'd work towards down the road? Yeah, um, so the field is managerial economics. And just one day I want to be like an entrepreneur. Uh, ultimately, I want to be a college coach. But, you know, like I said, it takes a process to get to that point. So to have credentials and other things that are Hold me over financially to be able to build up to that point. So it won't be, like I said, much of a struggle. The transition will be a lot easier. I think that's really one of the main motivations, just trying to do it step by step and make sure I'm taking all the right steps while I can, you know, while I'm still early, while the responsibilities are not as high as they could possibly get. School and staying in shape, and that's really it. Just enjoying the free time that I do have. Let's go back to, to Oregon State and to some of your memories of playing for the Beavers. You're First two years, we're playing for Craig Robinson. Your last two years, playing for Wayne Tinkley. So you split it in half, just like Langston Morris Walker did. And, and there's a lot of guys who kind of spanned that gap. Daniel Gomez, another example, Malcolm Duvivier. Before we get to the Wayne Tinkle and, and the change in coaching, tell me about your recruitment with Craig Robinson, your familiarity with him, what brought you to Oregon State, what you liked about Craig, or the difficulties of you had some success, but you weren't making the postseason. So tell me about your first two years and what you liked about Craig and the, the highlights or lowlights. Of course, well, I said I will start with the lowlights. The lowlights was probably not meeting the expectations. It was tough. I think we all felt that we had a really good team and that we should have did, you know, better than what we did. And it was pretty frustrating, you know, the first two years. Because unfairly, I feel like a lot of the blame was put on Coach Robinson. But once we realized we're the ones that got to go out there and actually play, you know, he can only be in control of so much. And he always came to bat for us. You know, that was one of the biggest things about him. Even getting to Oregon State for me, you know, me and him developed a personal relationship. It was pretty cool. It made me feel comfortable. Explain the weird timing on when Craig got fired, why that was kind of surprising, and how you heard that he had gotten fired by Oregon State. Yeah, it was weird. It was real weird because we was like halfway through the spring workout. So, you know, around that time, all the coaching jobs that had been open was pretty much closed by that time. It's done usually before the spring hits. And so you know, I remember I was asleep. And then one morning, you know, my people back home would blow my phone up. And I, was, you know, I answered the phone up like, Craig got fired? And I was just like, no, we got, you know, got workouts in like a couple hours. Matter of fact, I need to go back to sleep. And uh, they're like, you sure? I'm just like, let me, you know, let me check. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I seen my message notification. And they, they were just telling me, like, he wanted to meet with us. Originally, I liked the hotel, and, you know, they were just trying to get us there. But then what ended up happening, I think, word had got out, and the news and camera crew was there. So we picked a new location to meet up at, and he just gave us the rundown of what happened. And, you know, he let us know that he was more surprised than we were. But it kind of left us in, like, a gray area, like, what to do next. As you saw, like, a result, I know um, Eric ended up leaving. He had, like, one more year left. Chile ended up going back to Sweden. Hollis ended up transferring out. So it was big, big uh, turnaround. Even, even one of the recruits we had 
who had come in early, Nick Faust, he had decommitted after the change. And it was just like, man, you know, we don't know what to do. I was thinking about transferring. I was just like, you know, but why do I don't want to do that? You want to stick it out. It was just so much uncertainty. So you decide not to transfer. You do stick it out and they end up hiring Wayne Tinkle. To you, what is the biggest difference between Craig Robinson and Wayne Tinkle? I think that coaching styles, Craig Robinson, was offensively open-minded guy where if you notice most of the time on his team, we, we was like top three in scoring in the league. And so, but defensively, we was usually at the bottom. Whereas Wayne Tingle, you know, it was literally exact opposite. We'd be one of the top defensive teams, but one of the lower scoring teams, you know, he was just really big on defense and just kind of like letting the offense take care of itself. To me, that was the biggest difference. I remember going back recently and looking at a Craig Robinson interview and he talked about how he hated box out drills, never did any box out drills, didn't like him, didn't do them. So I'm guessing your first box out drill in three years was like your first practice with Wayne Tinkle. Do you remember doing box out drills for the first time in a long time? Um, I don't think it was planned, but with, with the way everything was starting, was like started out, we ended up having to do box out drills, a lot of like defensive drills. Cause just kind of like, get us back in the mindset of defense because like i said it's not like we, we didn't want to play defense but we just didn't hold it as important as we probably should have you know we're trying to score points most fans want to see a lot of points being scored they want to see you know basketball going through the hoop you know and, and so with um, wayne tingle he's def definitely big on defensive principles and fundamentals like boxing out like you know having your hands up on closeouts and things of that nature whereas you know with, with Craig Robinson, I think we took, you know, outside of the one thing one we took more of a schoolyard approach where it's like, hey, okay, you know, we go, man, I got this man, you know, I'm going to stop him. You know, you worry about your man on that side. And it was definitely a different transition. So, and Wayne's transition in and you start to play for him, uh, when was the first time that you noticed Wayne Tinkle sweated a lot during games? Because that was a big story early on, and now we don't talk about it as much, but it was um, kind of a funny thing at first. Yeah, for me, I, I didn't know since I was like going back and watching film. The TV personalities, they, they noticed it before the actual players do because you know, we'd be in the moment of playing the game. I know like after the game, you know, we can see he done sweat through his shirt, still wipe the sweat off. He just like, you know, he like he just played 40 minutes out there. It took us a couple of games to really notice it, you know, cause he usually, like you said, start out with the jacket on then he take the jacket off. And then we started seeing the crowd react to him taking the jacket off. We look over, we was like, oh man, whew, is that hot in here? You know, cause you just felt the energy. And especially when the crowds start getting a little bigger, you know, the sweat come a little faster. So it's just like, He's like soaked right now. I know he got like extra suit or so. He got to change to a halftime or something. Mostly he was successful at the very beginning, but it took a little bit because your first ever game for Wayne Tinkle in Gill Coliseum was a D2 <laughs> exhibition game and yeah. you lost by double digits to Western Oregon. How? I think we were still stuck in a certain mindset. You know, I think it was a trust factor. The trust on both ends had to be set. And I think it was done to kind of wake us up and understand, like, hey, this is our new coach. This is our new leader now. We just had to take that on the chin. And then um, with uh, one of the former guys that we came in with, Alex Roth, he had, you know, he was at Western Oregon. And so, you know, having to hear from him, yeah, no, it was just, it was tough. I still get asked about that sometimes, like when I'm in the area, like, you know, how y'all lose to Western Oregon? I was just like, you know, that was a long night. A long night to a new beginning. And good thing it was an exhibition game and, you know, it didn't count. So, we, you know, but we learned a lot from it. You know, Coach, he really made us sit down and watch that film thoroughly. It really, really set the tone for us for the season. You know, I think that year we went on to set the record for most consecutive wins in Gill. 
And so I was just like, man, whoever would have thought after seeing that it would turn out the way it did. I think it was like a, a blessing in disguise. Uh, yeah, ironically, you set the program record 15 wins at home and all of that after a D2 exhibition loss. But hey, you turned it into something good. A couple of the games that kept that streak alive where you kept on winning games at home were some of your biggest games. For example, UCSB, which was pretty early on. I think it was like December of 2014. You came off the bench, scored 16 points in that game. Do you remember that contest and coming off and, and putting up a, a show in that game? Yeah, um, yeah, I remember that game. Like, you know, that's one of my more memorable games personally because it was just about overcoming. And I think that was the, the tone of the season. So we only had, I think at that time, we only had seven scholarship players. You know, we had to have tryouts. We had the late coaching change. We had the loss in the exhibition. And, you know, we still got a chance to see another day. And I think we went down early that game. Just just try to do whatever it took to help the team win, you know. And, and then, you know, personally, I was – the confidence level was much higher. I was playing better. You know, I started to see the work that I had been putting in the offseason, you know, pay off. And so I was, you know, I was excited. You kept on producing pretty well, averaging nearly 10 points a game that season. You were traveling far across the country. You're playing in Oregon. You're originally from Georgia. We were talking a little bit before uh, off the air about your family background and who is supporting you. And you, you talk about your parents, Wendell and, and Constance. And then there's Karen Nelson also. Tell me a little bit about your family support and who means so much to you, how Karen Nelson fits into that whole picture and, and who was kind of your support crew from afar, from Georgia maybe, yeah. <laughs> but, but during your college career. Uh, yeah, so um, my parents, um, my mother had passed away when I was 13. And then uh, my father passed away when I was 21. So um, after my best year, which was kind of ironic. And, um, you know, Karen just always been there for me. Her and her family just always supported me. She took partial guardianship with my cousin, you know, when my mom originally passed. And it was, you know, it was tough. You know, it, it was tough, but they, they always, you know, had my back. They always let me know. They held me accountable, like, whenever I made a bad decision or when I always could be doing better, you know, they always be sure to let me know. Just kind of, they, you know, just kind of let me, go through life instead of trying to hold my hand and just make sure I learn from my mistakes and try to prevent them from happening. And, you know, they even like that to this day. You know, I talk to her, you know, every week, sometimes twice a week. And, you know, she making sure that I'm okay, that I'm level-headed and everything's going good. Or if I need anything, I can call her and let her know. And then a couple of my coaches from high school I still keep in contact with, you know, they, along with my brothers, they, like I said, they big on accountability and make sure I'm doing the right things to, you know, stay, stay on the right track. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And what point was it the off season between your junior and senior years? Was that when your dad passed away? Because if you were 21, that was probably around your senior season. Yeah, so it was it was August of my going into my senior year. They had just came out, you know, time where I had been playing my best basketball. You know, I had been, you know, back in the gym even more. And I was just looking forward to the year. And then, you know, that happened. And so it was kind of, you know, it kind of set me back, you know, mentally. You know, I, and I think it, it bothered me for the entirety of the season. It was just a frustrating time because that was my best friend, you know, somebody I had been with my whole life. And so for him to not be here now or not get a chance to see me play in Oregon because I wanted to fly him out for my senior night, make sure he see that game for sure. And so uh, not having that chance, you know, really, really bothered me. But, you know, I just wanted to continue on, you know, because he would want me to keep going, you know. So I just tried to think about that. And I just, like I said, just try to stay, you know, keep it positive. And then, you know, I had – to support my teammates and coaching staff and so along with my family so I, you know I couldn't couldn't be down too long so it was it was a tough time but you know got through it
did he come to any games junior year? Or did you talk to him a lot on the phone uh, that season? At your best year, were you keeping in close contact with him? Yeah, yeah. So we talked a lot. We talked a lot, you know, throughout all the years, actually. So that was one of the better parts. You know, I could just tell him what happened that week or something new that I had seen or, you know, let him know about the games. And then he seen some of the games back home with my grandmother. And so that was really big, you know, letting him, you know, see me play in college and on TV. He was just so happy, you know, that his son, you know, was doing something positive, you know, especially, you know, with, with everything that had happened before. And so I was just like, you know, I was happy to make him happy. Like I said, we talk all the time, like all the time. Me and him talk like every other day. So it was just like, you know, it was, it was constant communication. And then when the junior year happened, it was just like the communication kind of picked up because I was like I said, it was just an all-around, you know, up year, you know, but but it started out rough. and But it, he never allowed me to look at it that way. You know, he always kept it positive. And I was just like, okay, cool. You know, now, now I can go out and perform because I'm not really stressed. I'm not really worried. You know, he let me know, hey, it's basketball. You know, you, you've been doing it for a minute now. So it's just, you know, it's no different. And so just little talks like that just always helped out. When you talk about Wendell, I can I can see the smile on your face and just the good memories you have, which would be easy for you to get bitter or hurt about losing both parents. But you clearly do have a, a real rich thankfulness, at least for your parents and the memories there. And I can tell that well, there's a lot of happiness still there. Yeah, um, because just it was always like I said, that was my best friend. So just just like uh, reminiscing on the memories, it's always just bring back all the good times we had. You know, my household we was really close. Me, him, my mom, and my two older brothers, and we were just always together. You know, always together. And then when we wasn't together, I was always with him. And so it was just like his his right hand man. You know, I was his son, but I was like his best friend as well. And so we did a lot of things together. And like I said, just try to focus on those things. You know, that's what I always try to remember and just. You know, just try to understand like how life works. I think that was one thing they instilled in me very early before, even before mom pat, they just try to, you know, make me understand how life works, that things are going to happen. It's going to be out of your control, but you got to, you got to focus on what you can do. You know, not really how it makes you feel, but how you can react to it. And like I said, early on, it was, it was tough, but you know, as, ooh, as the time goes on, as time goes on, you kind of just find ways to, you know, to deal with it, you know, because you never really get over it, but just have to find ways to cope with it and, you know, understand the day-by-day -day struggles and how to get past them. And so once you do that, you know, you, you just become more appreciative naturally. Yeah, those birds are loud, but that's all right. No, I, I appreciate uh, your... <laughs> your your vulnerability and, and even honoring your parents. I mean, to talk about them a little bit, whatever platform you've got. Um, coming back to your time at Oregon State, one of the other storylines that we can't forget about when coming into your junior season and Wayne Tinkle was the explosion of Gary Payton II and his kind yeah. of blossoming in front of your eyes. Yeah. Uh, I was talking with Langston about how I, I never saw it coming. Like his numbers were not that good at Salt Lake City Community College. I did not think he was going to be a starter or anything along those lines. And all of a sudden, he's dunking on people and doing all sorts <laughs> of crazy things. So, what was your first impression of GP two and what you saw him develop into? Um, so, me and GP two. The first time I met him was on his official visit. Me and Victor Roberts was his host. And so, the first thing I know, I man, he's quiet because he was there. His mom and dad, you know, Big Gary, you know, Big Gary. He talks. And so I, I distinctly remember we went to the practice gym, just showing them around because it was new. And um, they got to a shooting competition. I, I'm just like, 
man, it's supposed to be a visit. It's supposed to be, you know, enjoying the scenery. And they're right there in the shooting competition, you know, see who can make the most in a row. And Gary didn't talk much, but he didn't back away from competition. That was one thing I thought he, he brought over really well. You know, he was, you know, he was a question mark to us too, because we didn't really know much about him outside of he was Gary Payton's son. And, but man, he's, you know, one of the coolest guys, you know, to come through, you know, not just with the style of play that he played, but just, just how he carried himself. You know, he's not, no cocky person or arrogant, you know, he's really like laid back down to earth. He's a, he's very, very competitive. You know, I remember days of practice and, you know, a lot of the days he would be the, the, the jump starter of it. And we was comfortable with one senior year here. I think he took more of a leadership role. He, he didn't back away from it. And that was very big. And, you know, we got, we ended up making it to the tournament off that. So that was, that was really big. And then uh, one thing that, that I'll never forget was the night he got the triple-double. He wanted that so bad because, you know, him and his dad, they talk, like, I'm going to say competitively. And so you'd be like, you know, hey, you'll forget, hey, that's father and son, you know, sometimes how they get going. And, and he's just so excited. He's like, yeah, you know, now it's me and Pops up there, you know. We're the only two to do that. I was just like, hey, that's that's big. He's like, that's, he's like I wanted that one for sure. That and the night he um, the night he wore the number 20 on senior night, senior year. So I was just like, man, you know, just seeing that. I remember the early pickup games, we were just like, ah, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting year. But then, you know, once once we kind of got our roles, you know, established, that we kind of got a better feel for each other. And like I said, we started hanging out more, you know, off the court and just building a genuine relationship. Things got a lot smoother. Like I said, you started to really see who he was. and It just ended up being great and working out for the best. Do you remember him rolling into practice with McDonald's all the time? Yes. Practice, shoot-arounds. Like I say, in college, you, you do a lot of weird stuff, you know. And him rolling in the practice off McDonald's and him usually being the most energetic guy there still, he's just like, this must be something they're putting in his order specifically, you know. They must know who he is or something because ain't no way, you know. He, it's almost like he didn't really get tired. You're trying to keep up with him. And every chance he got, he was trying to let you know you really can't, you know. I, I You know, I've been doing this. I'm just like. But we get on all the time because he used to be he used to be a swimmer. He used to swim. And so we're just like, yeah, that must be that must be that swimming training, you know, with the endurance. You know, we everybody ain't had swimming pools like that just to, you know, to get that done. So it was it was pretty funny. I didn't know that about him. I didn't know that he swam at did he do it even at Oregon State or just growing up that was his no, cardio. I, I think he did it in high school. Yeah, he did it in high school. I, like I didn't know neither until he you know, we I forgot how it came up, but we ended up talking about it. He's like, yeah, you know, I used to do a little swim out, like a little swimming, huh? <laughs> it was pretty funny, though. So. Okay. Another funny thing. I read a quote recently. I don't know why I saw this or noticed this, but it was just so funny. It made me think of you. Craig Robinson in 2014 was doing an interview, and he's talking about Hallis Cook. And he mm -hmm. said, this was his quote, he's not as prolific of a tweeter as Jarmal Reed but he always tweets when he goes to the gym. So he brought you up without even being asked about you. Is that valid? Uh, I think at that time it was. At that time it was where, uh, you know, social media, it wasn't as big as it was now, but I was definitely a lot more active on it back then. And just, just out of boredom. So I would, I would usually tweet like the first thing that come to my mind. And, you know, they, they got me in a little trouble sometimes, but it was, it was just, it was never no harm intended or, you know, no, no ill intentions. It was just purely out of just 
having fun, being interactive. You know, I was one of the guys that really didn't go out too much, especially early in college. So it's just like, that was my way of interacting with the people who, who I could set the network with, really, you know, trying to use social media for literally what it stands for. <laughs> you know, some of my tweets definitely caught the eye of coach sometimes, and you know, he let me hear about it. <laughs> he let me hear about it in practice or, the, or like the meeting rooms. And so, you know, it was a definitely act I had to clean up, but it was, it was all, you know, good times. Can you explain your, first of all, your Twitter handle and your name? It's not Jarmal Reed that's your name on Twitter. It's a whole different persona. So yeah. can, you, can you explain that? Oh, man. So the hamburger helper is just, I don't know. Like I said, I, I like to be creative and usually just, just come up with stuff just off the top of my head. And the Whopper Jr., you know, really is my, uh, the last two initials of it, just my, my name initials with just the JR. But the Whopper part is just, I don't know. Actually, it's just a life persona. You know, the Whopper is the biggest burger at the Burger King. So it's just like a colossal like feeling. So I was just like, ah, oh, that's pretty creative. And then the Hamburger Helper, somebody actually called me that one time in my family. And I just thought it was so funny. It's funny and it's random. It's it's perfect. It's all Jarmal Reed. So that's great. Exactly. Uh, all right. Last thing for you, Jarmal. A fun question. What do you and Shaquille O'Neal have in common there may be multiple things but there's one and i'm thinking of what do you and shaquille o'neal have in common me and shaquille o'neal have in common that's a tough one i think we both wore the number 32 oh i didn't even think about that he did wear yeah Yeah, orlando and miami yeah okay well done well done uh so i guess there's multiple there's another one i noticed you and shaquille o'neal both made one three-pointer in your career and one only. <laughs> oh, that's, wow. That's, you know, I mean, I've, I guess we just didn't feel the need to operate out there. You know, we let, we let the shooters shoot, and, you know, we just, we just like to patrol the paint. That's what a home is. You know, I was always taught the paint was home and you take care of your home. You know, I wanted to go, you know, where there was the least amount of people for me, you know. So I was just like, hey, if nobody want to go there, I'll definitely go there. <laughs> you definitely made your home in the paint. It was fun to watch. You had a unique style of playing and you got your buckets down low. You don't need no 30 footers. You're just scoring around yeah. the basket. It's fun <laughs> to watch you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, Jarmal, I'll let you go. Thanks so much for talking with me and uh, and reminiscing about Oregon State and what you're doing in Australia. It's fun to catch up with you and see that smile. Oh man, thank you. I hope you enjoy Jarmal Reed's whimsical, carefree nature as much as I do talking to him. He's so fun to talk with, and a guy who really could have been more bitter or downcast with a college career where he rarely was starting and had both his parents pass away, had a difficult couple first years where the team was not that successful, and yet he had a smile on his face the whole time I was talking to him, sharing everything that he's worked through and how he's a different person now and taking better care of his body and working more hard during his uh, studies and working towards a second bachelor's degree, and really cool to see what Jarmal Reed has done in the last few years. And I wish him well in Australia and staying safe down there. My thanks to Jarmal Reed for joining me on the podcast as I continue to work on a documentary showcasing the first year in Wayne Tinkle's tenure at Oregon State, a year with seven walk-ons and a team that was not supposed to be that good. But because of guys like Gary Payton II and Jarmal Reed and all those other guys on the team, ended up far exceeding expectations. So there'll be a documentary that I'm producing using these interviews of the players I'm talking with later this year. So stay tuned for that. And for more episodes of the Beaver Tales podcast with more athletes from all sports at Oregon State, and feel free to recommend more guests that you like to hear on this podcast, tweet at me 
My Twitter handle may not be as cool as Whopper Jr. No, it's at Bright Ties. Text a friend about this podcast and let them know. Oregon State athletes are on this podcast all the time talking about their playing days and what's happened since then. Thanks for joining me. This has been the Beaver Tales Podcast. Don't forget kingdomhome.org. And finally, as always, go Beavers.